This episode may include sensitive stories, topics, or themes that may be difficult to hear. Please take care of yourself and your well-being should something arise for you. Welcome to the latest episode of Punk Therapy, Psychedelic Underground Neural Kindness. I'm Dr. T, working on my PhD. And I'm the Truth Fairy, coming to you from the underground. Together, we hope to inspire integrity, courage, kindness, creativity, and rigor in the fast-growing industry of psychedelic healing. Hello, everyone. We are back again for another exciting episode of Punk Therapy. I'm always happy to be back with one of my favorite people, Dr. T. And two more favorite people. All my people are favorite, but these are my favoritest people here. <laughs> Night Owl and Aquabel, two of my dear colleagues. Um, we did training together, underground somatic psychedelic assisted therapy training about five years ago, I dragged these two incredible women out into the wilds and said, hey, there's a training that I think we should all take together. And they said, what is this training? And uh, we braved winter storms and highways and ferries to get to this remote location. And there we spent some really valuable training time getting to know each other in a whole new way and launching a whole other branch of our careers together. And I'm so, so excited to have Night Owl here tonight and Aquabelle. And I'm going, I'm going to hand it over to Dr. T pretty soon, but the theme of our show this evening is vetting clients who are coming to uh, psychedelic assisted therapy there is a great demand and a growing demand. And we'd like to share with our listeners this evening um, how it is that we um, know ourselves in this work. How do we uh, choose the right uh, client combination? Because many, many people are coming to ask for this work and we may not always be the right therapist for someone. So we'd like to sort of share our insights on what we've learned and help you vet the right client and, and for clients for help you kind of vet the right therapist. That's also a really important component of this. So I'm going to hand it over to Dr. T and I'm out of the hosting role now. I'm going to be interviewed <laughs> with my dear colleagues. Yes. Wonderful. Hello everyone. And, um, thank you, Truth Fairy. And thank you, Night Owl and Aquabelle for joining us today. Pretty excited. This is an interesting topic for me and I find, yeah, as a, you know, I've only been practicing as a therapist for a few years now and I, right at the beginning, because I was brand new to it, I just accepted everyone and I wanted to work with everyone. Whilst I don't work with the psychedelic medicines, you know, just as a normal therapist, I wanted to try and help everyone that I could. Um, and it has been a process of slowly starting to work out who do I really resonate with and, and who, who do I work best with? 
and I guess that's yeah that's what we're going to talk about today is how do we how do we do that right um, but before we launch into the each of your individual processes around choosing clients and and so on and so forth I thought maybe we could just start by um, each of you sharing a little bit about yourselves and how you found yourself in this work and what it is exactly that you do maybe night Alf, you'd be happy to kick us off so we uh truth fairy has already um revealed her dragging us inviting us <laughs> into this training five years ago this crazy these crazy invites i would say that's probably the theme between truth fairy and i um several years over a decade uh, a decade and a half of uh being invited into crazy invites. Um, but all of that uh, has become the foundation for the many ways that uh, people find me to work with me and and my own crafting of what my practice is becoming and keeps evolving and changing. So many, many years ago, uh, I was in the death trade. So working in palliative, what people call palliative care started out in a hospital setting that was not well suited for me uh, or for the system. So I went out on my own and did a lot of private uh, underground death care, really. I could call it uh-huh. that now. I didn't realize it at the time, but a lot of it was um, meeting people in their homes, mm-hmm. um, coming in um, as spiritual care and, at all hours of the night or day and being allowed to do that. So having Mm -hmm. access uh, without having to be part of the system, but getting access to the system. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when it was time for me to slow, slow that down, I was looking for other, other ways or other ways that could be supportive, but maybe not so intense uh, in that kind of care of people, which included different modalities that Truth Fairy also invited me to learn alongside. She has an intuition for these things and I have a way of just saying yes to her. Uh, and I've, it's not gone wrong yet. So I'm grateful for that. And uh, weaving in a ceremony, a deeply ceremonial background, uh, shamanic work. Yeah, in, the, in our chats before, when I was talking to you, before we hit the record button, you mm-hmm. sort of mentioned that, that one of the ways that you work is uh, a somato-shamanic approach. And I, I really love the sound of that. And I want to mm. know what that means. And, and if you have an example of the kind of work that that might look like. Yeah, so um, for for any for anyone who's up for it uh, to to be able to offer or, or weave in the shamanic approach, which has a has a spiritual view uh, and a soul view, along with the foundation of somatic care. So what I was finding is that someone would find me for specific shamanic, shamanic care, and I would hear myself speaking from a somatic approach. And I began to understand that that was not typical of a lot of the the other maybe shamanic practitioners that are mm-hmm. here. So I started to to kind of track that a somatic approach along with what's already happening in the shamanic way uh, is a really great marriage of of care, a care model. Um, and people seem up for it. Uh, there's a, uh, to just do some work with people and then send them on their way. Uh, there's, it seems to me there's a lot of effort after some sessions. If they're, if the body or that bottom up approach, 
and uh, making those connections between brain, spirit, body, emotion haven't been made in a session. It's a lot of extra work that happens after the fact. Mm -hmm. And what if it could be a little more easeful, a little kinder, uh, a little more complete in the moment? So that's where that where the somatic somato shamanic uh, term occurred to me is yeah. that these things weave well together. And that said, I also don't insist upon a shamanic approach. If someone is not interested in that, is not up for that, or that doesn't befit their uh, their beliefs or their ways, I don't I don't need to include anything that does not fit that. Mm -hmm. So there yeah. can be some separation there and differentiation when needed. But my yes. preference, my go-to place would be uh -huh. to have those weave together. Yeah, how good. Yeah. And I, I really love that. I love the sound of that. I find with psychedelics in particular as well, that, that I, for me, they granted me access to a kind of embodied spirituality, which was novel to me um, when I first started to engage with those kinds of medicines. So there's a, yeah, there's a, it seems like there's a beautiful marriage there as well between that somatic, somato shamanic approach and psychedelic medicines. All right. What about you, Aquabelle? Where, what kind of practices are you working with at the moment? Oh, at the moment, I, I work within a variety of modalities and ranging from mindful meditation to insight, somatic approach in that way, as well as just working within the realm of energy and, uh, you know, healing arts. And I think what's and and in psychedelics. And I think what's really important, what's what I find helpful for myself is to be able to weave the decades of experience that I've had in a variety of different therapies and modalities and bring them all together to help facilitate, you know, connection and being in a room with someone who is who is seeking something, someone who is, you know, wanting something. Yeah, mm -hmm. as a as a client, so yeah. And my okay. my whole journey did be my journey started with not only uh, again with Truth Fairy, but in my search for uh, my trauma for my help. So what can be useful to me? And you know, sometimes um, traditional therapies wasn't what was helpful. And so in working with other therapies that I found spoke to me, spoke to my body, you know, which I, which was, which I think is super important. And that's why, you know, connecting with kind of medicine work, somatic work is so relevant to me is because it was the seed to me becoming the closer to the person that I knew I could be. Yes. Yeah. I understand. I'd love to hear more about that, that personal journey that you, that you've been through, if you'd be happy to share a bit. Uh, otherwise, we yeah. can kind of... You know, many of us have had traumas in our past. And I remember reading uh, a, a book on trauma. And <laughs> one of the things was, you can talk about a, a very uh, horrific experience in your life, like you talk about the weather. And that was the first time I started thinking like, oh, that was horrific. Why can I, like, what's going on? And I realized that, uh, you know, started realizing that I was shut down started to realize that there's, you know, there's so much work for me to do. And that was probably the first, um, you know, movement towards there, there is a better place for me to be internally and externally. And so 
you know, and a lot of the process of me also learning different modalities was also my experience of freeing myself and working through some of the traumas and some of the patterns that, um, you know, that were holding me from being my fullest potential. Truth fairy, I'm wondering for you if there's anything, you know, I think our listeners have a fair idea of the way that you work. But I am curious if there's something hot for you or something, you know, something that's catching your interest right now in the realm of practice. Yeah, sort of uh, in my realm of practice, I mean, mm, I'm really um, very interested right now in the book Nurturing Resilience and really doing a, a deep study again on what developmental trauma really means and the impacts of that, the very real physiological um, psychological, spiritual, developmental impact of what developmental trauma actually means and how it shows up and how it shows up in clients, that real sense of, uh, you know, sensations being so profoundly overwhelming and not having foundational regulation. So I'm very, that's kind of what I'm really focused on in the moment. That doesn't mean that's what I focus on in medicine work, but it's just an area of deep, rich study. I'm also, always, always deeply interested in uh, the knowing of the other, how we get to know each other. That is always the basis and the foundation for me is relationship with clients. And I think, you know, having worked with Sharon Stanley, I've developed such a deep fascination with um, those subtle knowings of another person and not from a place of digging, but from a place of... um, the present moment inquiry together, the intersubjective field, that's super, super important. And I realized as I deepen my interest, there's no digging, there's no digging. It just is right there and it's unfolding in the moment. So I'm really finding profoundly precious the moment by moment interactions of subtlety together, both relationally, somatically, on a spiritual level, the soul level. And um, that's a big curiosity. And, And another one right now is, I find great delight in how different, when I work with different medicines, it requires something very different of me. Uh, A 3MMC or an MDMA session is very different from a 4ACO DMT session or a 5MEO DMT session. So I really love the interplay of hands-off, hands-on, or this session, it's like, no, this client's got this session. I'm backing right off. All I do is hold space, or this one is very interactive. So I'm really just loving the subtleties of learning those medicines, how different that can be. And always the ongoing practice of my own accountability of what it takes for me to be in this work, um, what I need to clear on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. Um, that in that level of uh, accountability and transparency is always at the forefront for me. Mm, you make therapy sound like such a delight. The way you speak about it, that, uh, <laughs> that it that it can be such a, a pleasure to be in the room with someone, and that that even if yeah. some difficult material is coming up, that there's a sense mm-hmm. that you can kind of get with it and vibe with what is presenting itself, you know, in, yeah. in the room. And if you can have that that um, curiosity and that kind of enjoyment in mm-hmm. in exploring what what is showing up in the moment, that that it can be something quite. Uh, enriching to do yeah Mm -hmm. I love I love that approach Mm -hmm. so okay we've got a sense of how we're all practicing and what we're doing Um, and I think our listeners know what I do you know I I just do the 
preparation and the integration work, um, which I do find, you know, something that I've been thinking about lately is just the, the idea that um, good preparation and good integration work for psychedelics um, is very similar to good um, during session work when the medicine is relational, when the person has the capacity to be in the room with the therapist, that it looks very similar in the prep and the integration as it does in the, in the during. That's kind of what I'm surmising from talking to people who are doing those sessions. Um, and that if I can get somebody into their body and do some of that good somatic deeper work and, and get into the, the present moment in a deep way with them, um, then that's going to be great preparation. And it's also going to help them unpack it afterwards really well. Mm. So anyway, that's me. Let's launch into the vetting process, the actual guts of today. And uh, <laughs> how, do we, how do we vet our clients? How do we, I mean, I don't know whether vet is really the right word, but how do we decide who is right for us to work with and what is our process around that? And I'm wondering if one of you would like to kick us off by sharing what your process is. I think that's a really great topic. So that's why I'm so happy to be here today. <laughs> um, when I first started working um, with psychedelics, uh, as you, you know, it, there are a lot of people that would like to have the experience. And at first, and of course, being, you know, wanting to help and serve because it was so amazing for me and wanting to continue to offer that. Um, what I did feel was I've come to understand who would I would be best for and who would be best for me. And I do find because it's such a relational thing, I feel that that's really important. And there might be someone who comes to me and I, I you know, get a sense of who they are, where they want to go and know that perhaps there's someone else in, in my group that might be, a, uh, might be able to work with them in a, in a better way, in a way that's more um, intrinsic to their journey and their process. So I think that's really important. And I also feel that's not something I could have just come up with first few times doing it. It's, it was something that I needed to go through and I needed to develop an understanding of how I offer, what I offer, and what's the best way to use what I can offer and with whom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And do you have an example that you could share with us about, you know, that learning process that you went through? How did you start to figure out who you resonated with and, and who was like a green light for you and who and situations where maybe you got an intuitive hit or something that told you that this person might be better off with a different practitioner from your community? Mm -hmm. Once you start doing it for a while, I do feel that it, it moves into a more skilled understanding. But what you said, the intuition is really important in that, you know, typically I would have um, a meeting, a Zoom, a phone call, with someone and seeing, you know, exactly what are they, what are they hoping to achieve? What, what do they want to talk about? What's going on in their lives? And within that, you get, there's a lot of information. And typically at first, 
you know, it was an intuitive feeling. It was that I, I, I just, I feel that the way they're speaking, the way they are approaching their own life, which is this beautiful way of, of self-expression, that that self-expression is best with someone else that I, you know, can refer them to. And knowing that perhaps it's just in, in, a, in uh, so self-expression is one of them, also what they would like to accomplish and how they would like to accomplish. And, you know, are, are they more in the somatic realm? Are they more into the psychoanalysis? Do they want to speak all the time? Do they have stories? And all of these things are beautiful ways of communicating. It's just the process of how do we, how can we best relate? Because that's, that's the way I see my purpose is simply to provide a space for uh, kind of uh, for us to be able to relate to each other so that there's a sense of safety, non-judgment, so that things can come up with people and with clients so that there's a freedom in their journey. Mm-hmm. And that it's it's uh, that that there are these amazing subtleties that can come through, and yeah, so intuition definitely, but also then that turns into skill of understanding that I know there's someone else that might be a better connection because of the the way of because of the self expression really yeah yeah okay almost like a clinical intuition that you develop over time where you have a sense. From your experiences of what's what's right and this is really interesting you know we're talking into the okay the subtleties of, of when it's right when it's really right to work with someone and i'm also really curious to get into the like okay what are the clear boundaries when is it actually wrong to work with someone for you and when when do you draw a line and say uh this isn't i'm not going to work with you um for x y and z and just before you launch into that, I want to invite the Night Owl and Truth Fairy, you know, that this doesn't have to be purely me interviewing Aquabelle. If I can sense that both of you might have had something to say here and there. So please chime in if, if there's something that's hot for you as we're talking. We can kind of drop into more of a conversation flow as we go. So, yeah, Aquabelle, what, yeah, what are, are there some hard no's that you have and, and have they come up and how do you, how do you deal with that? You know, there there definitely have been some hard no's and that not only is through sense, but also, you know, through an understanding. And some of it may have to do um, with simply if, if it could be something along the lines of certain medications um, that I feel that I'm not um, skilled enough to work with or I don't have an understanding of them deeply. Um, so that could be something. It could also be you know, that that's someone has come, I guess in a way it would be that I, that there will be some time of just, you know, working with them as clients without the medicine so that there can be uh, an understanding of who they are and, you know, working with that. And sometimes that just isn't what the client wants that they, you know, they would prefer just to do a medicine session and not actually, you know, do the sessions. And that's one of the things I personally um, require is regular sessions to get to know the person, to go into some of that depth, like you were talking about, Dr. T, so that there is um, a little bit of, so there's some preparation for what is to come. And sometimes there are other things um, 
that, and I think that's really important. So that's, but that's me. That's the way I like to work is to ensure that there's some groundwork done before we mm. go into uh, a deeper session. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes sense. Rather than putting up a hard wall, maybe put some requirements, say, hey, we need to do X, Y, and Z before you're ready. And and that could just be yeah, a certain number of sessions. I know mm-hmm. speaking to the truth very before that sometimes you've had clients that you felt that you needed to work with for at least a year, you know, before you would consider working with medicines in, in some situations. And, um, you know, I'm just thinking about just even in a very medical kind of perspective, there are certain DSM-5 categorizations of mental health issues, you know, that might be um, red flags for for certain therapists. They might not want to work with someone who has a history of psychosis or schizophrenia or bipolar um, or or maybe, you know, some other types of of mental health challenges. They they might have some some boundaries around that. And I wondered what you think about that, Truth Fairy. It was really interesting as you were as you were saying that I was thinking back to an interaction that uh, Aquabelle, you and I had around a client that was referred to me, and I knew at the time that I couldn't take on more clients. And then I asked you if you could talk to this client, and this client at the time was uh, clearly feeling some desperation about her life situation and was really, really hoping that psychedelics was sort of the next answer. And she was still using fentanyl. She had a prescription for fentanyl and that she had been using for about 10 years. And it was a really interesting interaction um, between Aquabel and I. This client was living in a setting that was not going to be conducive to the support that she would need for a medicine session. So there's two ways I want to answer this, and I'm so glad we come up to this because this client was quite adamant that this prescription was one that she had been working with for 10 years. It's contraindicated in our work, and we couldn't um, guarantee her safe passage with the medicines that we were working with. And, And it was actually quite upsetting for this client because both Aquabelle and I declined. And we also declined based on the fact that her situation, the where the abuse took place for this client um, is where she was living now. So this is a very difficult call, but how do we, this is another very important component of the work is asking clients, it's not just the setting that we work in, but what's the setting that you live in? Do you have a community to support you? How does your spouse or your family feel about what you're doing? Because that's another part of the setting. So as clinicians, as therapists, as guides, we need to not just go, oh, here's a person that wants to do medicine work, but how does your partner feel about it? How do your friends feel apart about it? How does your community feel about it? Uh, what kind of net do you have to go back to and be really upfront with people about the medications that you simply can't work with. I mean, I know that um, there are some wonderful people out there that are working with uh, Cambo to prepare people to work with Iboga. And there's different, uh, I don't work in that realm, so I don't know that, you know, what kind of detox they help people with, but uh, I'm not set up for that. (laughs) So I don't go there. You know, um, working with ketamine, certainly I consult with a doctor and uh, this doctor has been very, very helpful for to me to kind of go through any medications that someone's on and see is it safe because that's generally the medicine that's safest to work with when someone's on a lot of different medications. So, 
Yeah, that's a little bit of part of my vetting process, but not all of it. But I do have a story to tell. I can come back to that. May I, may I pop in um, and riff off of the truth theory um, around set and setting and how we return after an initiatory experience? So from, um, from some of my ceremonial background, it's not easy to have a re-entry so the support that is or is not in place or the understandings or the, the empathy of what, what you return home to is significant. Um, and for me, it's not a deal breaker uh, as far as, you know, it has to be a very, I don't have very particular ways, but I have a sense of uh, what someone's capacities to um, go to re-enter as, uh, as, a, as a new person as a person who's been maybe uh, has untangled some and is wanting uh, the sweet spot of, of integrating at such a precious time. And uh, there's a lot of preparation before medicine sessions and uh, a lot of hours and relational alliance and care that's gone on between us. And so when someone returns home, part of that preparation is what are you returning home to? And what, what, how might you craft the, the days and hours, days and weeks following your, your session with that in mind, this is an issue as an initiatory experience. Um, and sometimes we don't even know how to, you know, from a more mythic perspective, sometimes we don't know how to eat, you know, to take our first bite of food, to, um, have a kindness, uh, and a soft gaze and not a lot of questions. There's, there's preparation of the people and the environment around us to return home and not be sort of instantly feeling those old patterns or, or the, the derailing of something that was so, so intimate. So that's one of the, that's one of the really important parts for me in terms of preparing with people and what they have in place. And if they don't yet have it in place, might we craft that? Might we collaborate? Might there be ways we can get creative between mm-hmm. now and when that medicine session may occur? Mm-hmm. Um, and like Aquabell, um, I don't make those promises anymore of, uh, we will do this medicine work together. Um, I was, I was taught initially, you know, at least three sessions of preparation before I've found that I, I just don't even speak that out loud anymore. It's a, it's a, we'll see. And, and, uh, that there is preparation and a foundation between us and the relationship particularly with certain medicines, the, re- the relational capacity between us and the negotiation of touch and care and the sound of one's voice and how close can we be with one another in physical proximity, in emotional proximity, all of those things matter in our preparations. And, and uh, that Truth Fairy and Aquabell, because we, we meet as colleagues in support of one another, I was very well cared for by my dear colleagues here around a very a, a really key moment for me to say no to a client. We were so close. We were a few weeks out from um, agreed upon medicine session. And in speaking with them in one of our, our council of care evenings, our accountability circles, it, it became very clear that I was not to proceed with this client. Um, and to that, uh, I would just offer even briefly that uh, one of the ways that I choose to say yes, or my yes comes to work with someone, is to just just to notice what's happening in my own body as they're speaking, 
And as I was relating my experiences with this particular client during our preparation sessions, Truth Fairy just looked at me and she says, what are you feeling right now? And I could feel this tightness in my chest. I could feel my throat get tight. And she's like, yeah, I'm nervous. I'm nervous. Like, I just feel nervous. Um, and so she, she was relating and reflecting that back to me as was Aquabelle. She's like, well, you know, this is a calling. And like all of these, these ways that we have shared with each other have really, um, I found, I find a lot of grounding now from that experience to go through the no to this person to also wish to offer her further care, um, either with Aquabelle or someone else. And then realizing that that too isn't available and just seeing how we can artfully and carefully offer other options. Maybe it's a pause. Maybe there's other work that they might do between now and, and another time. Um, but really noticing a groundedness and a, and a, an assurance in my own belly now for the no, as much as the yes. So that those those have a real harmonizing, they, they're becoming more harmonized. And I could relate to you, Dr. T, you're like, I just, I want to work with people. And so mm-hmm. um, in my earlier years, pre-psychedelic medicine, I, I would see all kinds of clients for stress diffusion and, and other modalities that I would offer and then realize I got myself into many sticky situations that were uh, preventable and weren't very wise at the time and would, and risked my own safety because my own neuroception was a little off. And so just that kind of care that we might take for ourselves and having these reflections with colleagues and our own therapists, our own council of care. So that's one of the terms that I use with clients as well. Who's your council of care? I can't be your only person. Mm-hmm. I don't wish to be your only person. Mm-hmm. So what are the other ways? And just having those conversations and listening um, like with the third ear. So <laughs> that, that we have these two ears on either side of our head. We have these senses um, but in some of my sort of uh, other other modalities or other ways, I go, what's what am I what am I hearing from my third ear? It's <laughs> it's really faithful. It's really true. It trues me up, even if I I have a real heart for someone, and I really would like to, and and I still say no, <laughs> and it's not easy because I might really I you know earlier I heard heard you say truth right like. Uh, or maybe it's you, Dr. T, a pleasure to be with people. Yeah, the therapy can be can be a pleasure. And um, that, that, that would be my, my heart's desire is that yeah. when we're with each other, that there, that there yeah. is a, a trust and there is that there are pleasurable moments and there's laughter mm-hmm. and kindness. And and mm-hmm. certainly with with medicines where it's a, a heart opening uh, interrelational medicine, when someone says, I love you. I have to be authentic to, to respond and be with someone who feels that open. And so I, I, you you can't make that stuff up. So it's, it's, I, and I've learned that on the back end sometimes where I I feel the awkwardness or an uncomfortability that I didn't catch at the Mm -hmm. front end. And so making those adjustments then, and uh, that auto forgiveness and auto empathy and compassion for when I catch something that I missed as though mm-hmm. I, even as the night owl, I don't see everything. So um, to note and and make those course corrections. I've had an elder mm-hmm. call it that. It's just, this is just, it's a course correction, honey. She just puts her hand mm-hmm. on her chest and goes, it's course correction and make it. 
have the courage mm-hmm. to make the course correction, but not to uh, be harsh or judgmental on ourselves mm-hmm. either. And then with how I treat myself that way is then how I would wish to treat the people that want to work with me or are working with me where we need to pause or we need to course correct together and just see what we can do together. If, it, if it's still something we can still keep going with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, this brings me to a comment I'd like to make because uh, I, I want to acknowledge that um, there's so many different ways that clients are meeting guides, facilitators, medicine therapists. And um, I guess this is my... <laughs> Little, little advice out there in the world for uh, guides that are working with therapists, because we have this arrangement for some people where um, therapists send the, their client to a very well-trained medicine guide. And um, just because that, that client and that therapist have a good relationship, it doesn't mean it's right for the, for, for the medicine guide or the medicine therapist. So I really want to encourage um medicine therapists or guides to um, have that relationship on their own terms. Just because I refer someone to someone else doesn't mean it's going to be a fit. And that uh, I really want to encourage guides to um, just because you've been referred to doesn't mean this is someone you're supposed to work with, but get to know this person on your own terms. Um, One of the things that has tripped me up a lot in the past and I've like, (laughs) you know, paid my dues on this one is I got seduced by highly recommended. And, you know, I got some referrals from a a well-known doctor who'd send me over clients and he said, you know, and then the client would say, you come very highly recommended and I can just feel that little ego hook in me. And now I have to perform. And that's what it's happened to me a couple of times. And in that performance, I missed that maybe we weren't the right, the right fit for each other. And that has ramifications. So just because I come highly recommended doesn't mean I'm the right therapist for you. And um, what I was missing, and this is a really important lesson for me, and Aquabel helped me figure this out. We were at a museum one day and we were, <laughs> lo and behold, I dragged her into a conversation to help me out on this one and she did a great job. But I, I, de- I was able to determine that as a child growing up in my family, and I just want to the cat that I just want to say that I, I love my family and they were very traumatized. But every single day that I woke up, I was in a state of dread. And I um didn't know what the day held. Was it gonna go well? Was it gonna go badly? And this was constant. So I was in a constant state of dread. And lo and behold, I became a um a superhuman overcoming dread. <laughs> And that became a problem. Like it was a good thing because I could go into anything. I could go on stage, I could perform and find a way to overcome the dread. But in doing so, I was missing a very valuable cue. And I was suppressing the cue of dread in terms of working with certain clients where that little dread was coming up, but I was overriding it. And I realized that I was uh, stealing myself for some very difficult work. And it's not that I'm not into difficult work and going into the trenches with people, but I was perhaps working with a client that may not have been trauma-informed, may not have done psychoeducation, may not have believed that trauma even exists, and thinking that, okay, I'm up for this, I'll do the psychoeducation with this person. But in fact, I felt I, I was dreading doing it. And um, so for me, one of my one of my vetting processes, I, I, I want to know what kind of... Um, research people have done. I'm really interested in what books they've read, 
What do they know about trauma? Have they have they seen a psychologist? Have they ever done therapy? Personally, just where I am, I'm, I generally don't work with people that haven't done any therapy at all because it's a lot of work. I mean, you know, then we sort of get into this uh, or... I, I usually would rather they worked with a therapist for a little while. I mean, it's just where I am in my career. It's a lot to take on. So I want to know that someone's actually tried some counseling or something. And I'm not that there's, a, there's good therapy and bad therapy out there, but, or even have some sense about, you know, working from the body. I want to know what they're, how they've educated themselves on it, not about their education, but how they've educated themselves. And so the another important piece here that I want, I, they're my two D's are dread and desperation, but I need to listen to my own sense of dread where I go, oh, this is, I may not be up for this. This might be bigger than I can do. Uh, or I may have too many clients with complex trauma or PTSD at one time. I can't do more at the, you know, I need to work on a spectrum. And the other piece is desperation. And I say this with utmost empathy, utmost kindness, some people find themselves in a real state of desperation and they have tried everything and they just want this last final thing to work. And, you know, I so get desperation. I've been desperate in my life so many times, but for me, it's a hook. And that means, okay, let's do this. You're desperate. Let's, let's, and I get hooked into that desperation. And what I've learned from a couple of clients is they want an end to desperation. They don't want to learn what's happening here. They just want the desperation to end and they want the medicine to do that for them. And what I have learned in those cases is that that's going to take a lot, lot longer to establish relationship together because desperation is really the death threat. It's, it's really out of relationship. So um, I, I, want, I want to caution people about uh, not getting hooked by desperation and saying this is my last resort uh, because that person may not yet be up for deep learning they just want the fix and that we need to actually get people into relationship when they're desperate. So those are my little out vetting process uh, as well. Uh, again, is there a connection? Is there a connectivity? Can we relate to each other? Is there a reciprocity? Reciprocity is very important. And I, you know, I'm a huge advocate for clients, you know, educating clients on how to choose therapists. But I also want to say as a therapist, sometimes I feel like I'm an object. Sometimes I feel like I'm being used as an object, as a vehicle. And I want to know that my humanity is, is being taken into consideration as well, because it is a human process to be in that room together. It's vulnerable for me as it is for a client. So I just want to know that a, a client, you know, sees me as a person as I see them as a person. And we're two people in this together. Mm, totally. I, I sometimes still get clients who come to see me who um, they immediately want to do a psychedelic session. They think I offer it, even though, you know, I'm clear that I only do the pre and post counseling at this stage. They come to me expecting that. And for me, my answer to that is very simple. I can just say no, because that's not what I offer. But, you know, for you, for, for people who are working with the medicines, um, people might come to you with that attitude of, I just want the medicine to fix me and I want you to be the, the object of meeting that need. And, and, um, and I just want to use you to get to the medicine basically, which is going to fix me. Um, and I'll, yeah, I'm wondering if the night owl, Aquabelle, I've had experiences, you know, of clients that come with that, that desperation and what that's looked like for you as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's, uh, it's probably more mm -hmm. common than, you know, than thought of. 
Yeah, it's the which is one of the reasons why for me I made a decision to not give yes after three time after you know three sessions we can do it and and even within doing that and because of my meditational background and somatic background there's ways that you know that I can work with someone to know if if they will be ready in three but, but there is you know it's really hard to turn someone down it's very hard to turn them down but when that desperation is there what you know as a skilled being is to that there needs to be some work that's it there needs to be some work for it to um, have any kind of um, influence on the person and that's something that a lot of people don't want to hear who are in that desperation stage they don't want to hear that there's a possibility it may happen, it may not happen. But the reality is once you do this, you understand that there, the, it will work if there's preparation. And it also allows you to see if the person is willing to put the time in, if the person is willing to do some work on themselves and to gently move and be curious about certain things. And if it's not there, then that's a good indicator that, you know, saying no is probably the best not only for you but for them as well you know one of the things that i feel that if someone someone was to come to me desperate and we were to do it i just you know who knows what doors will be open and the prep work that should have been done to help ease that person from medicine work into the outside world when the world continues to happen to them you know, it's, it's, I feel it's my responsibility in that. It's my responsibility to make the safest situation for the client and myself. I'm the one with the skill. I'm the one who has that understanding. The client has the need or the want or, you know, to have that magic pill. As hard as it is, as hard yeah. as it is to turn someone down, the best thing I feel I can do is to turn them down. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting too, because, um, you know, the way psychedelics are being marketed right now, you know, psilocybin for anxiety and depression, I get people come and say, I want to take psilocybin journey for anxiety and depression. And I, I always have a conversation about them with them about the, 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 the a quick little thing on neural states, um, the perceptions of danger or life threat that come with those neural states. And if that person is open to hearing it, that's an indication that we're going to continue the conversation. And then if they get interested in that, that's a big one for me. And if they're, and, and generally clients do vet themselves. They, uh, they generally send them the information you've had the conversation and they, they start to realize, oh no, this is bigger work than I want to take on. But, uh, you know, I think all three of us are into rolling up our rolling up our sleeves to help people, and it is a a big job. It's bigger than just the medicine. Medicine's just a part of it. It's, mm -hmm. Yeah, I've had mm -hmm. a few conversations recently around uh, that there are many medicines, and from um, an indigenous to hear way of speaking of it, I'm going to go gently, but how I've heard it and how it's been taught to me. Is that we we carry many medicines, and that to to hold up a psychedelic medicine over a sweat lodge, over a pipe ceremony, over a shamanic journey, over that 
or, or your own, uh, that, that you are your own source medicine, that if we're, if we're imbalanced mm-hmm. in that way, or in some of that desperation of this is the last, this psychedelic is the last, it's my last chance. Um, often I've been inviting, because this is part of my practice and, and my approach to myself and therefore others, is um, if I'm the source medicine, I'm not your guru. I'm not going to save you from anything just to temper and, and acknowledge that with that desperation, the medicine isn't the thing. I'm not the thing. Your innate abiding wisdom is in there. You're here for a reason. It's just how, how, how we're putting that container around. This is how it's, how it's going to fix me. That needs some care and a reset Mm -hmm. more than revering one medicine way over another. So for me to, to sort of carry many medicines, um, an approach of everything being um, on the ground in a circular or spiral kind of way, everything's equal. So I've had my own, and I share from my own experience, I've had experiences where I've done a, I've listened to a drum with no psychedelics, no adjuncts whatsoever. And I've had a similar uh, depth of experience, a depth of healing that I can't explain that is as potent as a psychedelic session. And there are psychedelic Mm -hmm. sessions where we feel nothing happens. And those, I mean, this is a topic of conversation with uh, the Truth Fairy and I when when she's teaching and I'm her co-winged pilot um, in these these trainings, uh, the nothing session. And and how it, just imagine how how someone who's desperate and wants this thing and then has like a, a kind of a session that flatlines a bit, yeah. and they don't quite they don't quote get what they want. I'm like, it's not about what you want. It's like yeah. I want to fix my heartbreak. You haven't stopped for a moment to go, hey, broken heart. Like, mm-hmm. what, what do you need? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. what what wisdom do you have while you're breaking open? Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. so an approach that that includes that or or that that for me that's probably the core of it uh, rather than this one thing or what medicine's going to do it that's another conversation I'm like whoa 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 let's let's slow that down just a little bit more because yeah uh, I really I have such a, a deep abiding respect for the power and the capacity of humans um I'm I'm very moved by that. So mm-hmm. to acknowledge that first and, 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 and come into some kind of emerging relationship with you as the human, this the, like a beautifully human source, like you are the source of your own medicine. So what we do after that could be pretty incredible. But if we're forgetting, like as humans, it, like we're the only species that forgets. A tree does not forget how to treat itself. A feather knows how to grow itself always. But as humans, it's part of being human that we forget this. And so when I hear the desperation or, the, or the, these wants mm. and these deep, like, I want to achieve things, I'm like, okay, well, mm. what if we didn't for a moment? What if we could remember together? And that even even in an old verb, I'm a bit of a word nerd. So even the, like, to remember, it used to be used, like, we member a verb. To, and it means, like, to put your limbs back on. You gather at certain seasons, you know, after a a hard winter, you gather in the spring to member together. You need other people to do that. So what if, what if we as, as therapeutic guides or facilitation facilitators, we are remembering our humanity with each other Mm -hmm. 
And that's a very delicate, very delicate work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I have a beautiful example that happened today. I know we're coming on time here, probably going over time, but uh, I I just have this really beautiful moment here today with a client. He came in for a pre-session today and it's his fifth one fifth three day with me. And um, I knew from the moment I met him uh, that I wanted to work with this person. He had a really big heart and uh, real sincerity. He came with such sincerity. And uh, we've had a long journey together, but it was really wonderful because initially when we were preparing for sessions, I had sort of a preparation. I had a land acknowledgement. I uh, worked with Smudge at the beginning and then do a seven directions prayer. And then I said my own prayer. And this prayer included you know, um, acknowledging refugees, war zones, uh, different uh, catastrophes and horrific things happening in the world. And I, he was quite impatient at the, at the beginning of working together. He just wanted to get to the medicine. And and uh, he, he would say, well, why do we have to say these prayers? No, this is that right. And it's so beautiful now because he he really gets my process now that this is really important for me to set the, set the stage. And today in his pre-session, he said, we had this very powerful pre-session with the somatic work. And he goes, my God, I don't even know if I need this medicine. It was just so beautiful to get to the point where it was like the pre-session was the medicine. He, he was like, we're not, we're still going on with the session tomorrow. But he said, oh my God, if we're getting here without medicine, this is incredible. And mm-hmm. and this is, I think, what I, I, I re- is important for people to know that like Night Owl was saying, medicine is shows up in so many different ways. Mm. Mm-hmm. So much of the work can be done without a psychedelic, and and is often mm-hmm. better off without it. And it's just mm-hmm. a, it's just one of many modalities. Yeah, yeah. this has been such a, a such an interesting conversation. I came to today's interview with this list of ideas in my head of uh, you know the different considerations that you might have in vetting a client. You know, DSM considerations, someone's history, their current health you know, um, their current life situation and stability, their relationships to psychedelics, a very masculine, like, let's tick some boxes Mm -hmm. and, you know, let's actually screen this person. Mm -hmm. Um, And the conversation has just been a a very different approach to it, which feels Mm -hmm. like um, the way in which that is negotiated. Obviously, that list is still there, I I assume, for Mm -hmm. all of you. It's there in the background, but the way that you negotiate it is so much more about the felt sense of what feels right between you and the client in the session, in the session and a kind of co-negotiation of, of whether a medicine session is right for them uh, or not. Mm-hmm. Um, that involves a much more nuanced and kind of uh, intuitive sense mm-hmm. um, with people. So this has been a really rich conversation. Thank you. I, mm-hmm. There is one other domain i guess that i'm interested in around vetting and things like that and you know it's something that comes up because you know i'm very involved in the psychedelic community here where i am from and i find that there is a lot of blurred boundaries shall we say between you know a client who then might attend an integration circle or blah 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 you know all the different events that are going on in this space mm-hmm. healing events breath work everything there's a lot of cross mingling and things like that and i have a friend who is a clinical psychologist and this person finds that to be challenging that blurred boundaries and i'm just wondering how that comes into the vetting process for any of you, you know, if you if you have to think carefully about, okay, I know this person in a different 
context, is it appropriate for me to work with them with psychedelics or not? And yeah, and yeah, whether that comes up for you, any of you. Oh, I want to jump on that so quick because I read a a fantastic book on the indigenous way, which means uh, there is no separation between us, which requires, it's requisite that we practice our conduct. So therapists, healers, we are all part of a community. We are not separate. We are part of all of our communities. And that requires a behavior and a conduct out in the world so that we can be a part of our communities and conduct ourselves in such a fashion that we are part of community and that we need to be very clear about our boundaries when we're working with medicine. But I go all, I, I go to all sorts of places in my city and I meet clients and see clients because I want to be active out there. So it requires that I conduct myself with integrity. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And... Um, it's important that people see that I'm a human being that also works with my trauma and then I'm going to go into a setting and be a normal human being. I can't, you know, hide away all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've shared Sweat Lodge with, with clients. Um, and we, but we, we, have a, we have a conversation around that. We're relational with that. So one of the most beautiful, uh, beautiful experiences, I, I'd met someone on Zoom and worked with them on Zoom. Uh, and then... The first time we met in person was actually in sweat before, before we did other work together. It was one of the most, it's, it's, it, it remains one of the most beautiful meetings of someone. And it was very unifying and, 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 beaut- and, and leveling of the humanity to sit and sweat next to a woman, woman to woman. I mean, there's nothing quite like getting drenched in your own sweat and weeping with each other and singing loudly in a, under, under the tarp of, of a womb-like place um, to keep you, you real. <laughs> um, and with that same experience, I am currently not um, participating in some of that because there's some relational ways that need some tending. And so I, I, I respect the ethics of what is shared in, in our work together such that I pause when I need to pause from parts of that community while someone else is working something out with someone. Um, and I invite people, most, most, most people have an open invite because of my own, um, that some of the lineage that I carry in terms of ceremony, all are welcome, always. Now, the way that you approach a circle will keep that conduct uh, and that approach really clean and clear but all are welcome. So, mm-hmm. and, and it's not, it, it, it is a bit messy. <laughs> um, oh yeah. But it's relationally messy and it's, it's ethically messy. Um, and it's very human. And to me, this is how we remember this is human making. And if, uh, I guess that's what I'm in for is, is human making, mm-hmm. not, uh, not more isolation, not more separation, not more neglect, not more push people out of, you know, cancel culture, whatever all those terms are. I'm just not into it. I'd rather mm-hmm. say, oh, you made this mistake. Come sit next to us in circle. Smoke mm-hmm. a pipe with me. Mm-hmm. Well, it doesn't mean I'll do medicine work with you, but come sit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. come sit. Yes. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Couldn't have asked for a better response. And I, I really deeply resonate with what you both just shared. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you. 
So we've gone long here. We're we're at a, an hour and seventeen minutes. Uh, we're usually forty minutes, but it seems like we needed to gather here. Uh, we got some pouring rain in our city here, and I'm noticing internet connections are getting a little bit uh, interesting here right now. Um, is there anything that anyone would like to complete with Aquabel? Do you want to or Doctor T to wrap up? Well, it's always a joy speaking to you all. So uh, it's always lovely to, to, you know, speak in community and to share all of our thoughts. And, you know, what I what I love most about something like this is how each of us are so unique in our approach and so unique in our, uh, you know, our relationships. And I feel that, you know, and you, I know some of you have heard me say this, but I think connection between client and therapist is, is a calling. You, you connect mm-hmm. or you don't. It's relational. And so I feel that, you know, that is so important. And so if there is someone that even if I really like them, but I feel that on a relational level, on, on this level of connection, they would connect better with someone else, I will pass them along to that person. Because I feel there's nothing more important than doing what is best for the client. Mm-hmm. And that's what's important to me is that I provide that. And sometimes the best is not me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you, all three of you. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. And to our listeners, if you're digging what we're putting down, please mm-hmm. give us a rating on the on the podcast sites. And um, if you have any questions for us or queries, just send us an email, info mm-hmm. at punktherapy.com. If you know someone who you think might be an interesting interviewee for us to chat to, send us an email, get in touch. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Thank you very much. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank all. you, everybody. Adios. Such a pleasure. Thanks. That concludes this episode. We hope you found it meaningful and integrative. Remember to subscribe via Apple Podcasts or Spotify and kindly share the link with your friends and colleagues. If you want to contact us, you can reach us at info at punktherapy.com. And remember to punk your inner wisdom. <laughs>